Thank you so much. I just got to be with another wonderful class of new and prospective members at Life at Grace. It's a great room up there. And um, man, God is working, bringing some wonderful families to unite with us. And it's so beautiful every time, that multi-generational look in the room. It's, it's really incredible. Um, we want to continue, of course, to pray for our friends in Israel and the war that they are currently engaged in. We do have a pastor Q&A planned for next month. In your midweek news, you'll get a link that will allow you to submit questions if you have those. I know we have some Christians with questions about what's happening in all of that. We continue to watch and pray, and please submit those when you get that in your inbox. Um, God is doing such a work here, and as I look up here again, I'm reminded, as I was in the first hour, to see my middle daughter and our son, to see our oldest daughter and oldest granddaughter, son-in-law, my wife, to know that Hannah was back in the first hour and now here, but serving children, little kids, so all four children, serving the Lord and to a thousand generations being able to pass that blessing. And I want to celebrate something that we found out about three months ago that we were not allowed to share yet, but something that, the way I see this, because this is the fifth year in a row we've celebrated this, but the way I see it, it is a reflection out there of the good things that God is doing and his grace in here. Our newspaper, Knox News here, um, large local newspaper, does a a little thing every year where they look at all of these different uh, places, restaurants and, uh, you know, schools and, and places of worship and all of that. And they have people that vote for, I don't know how long, a month, six weeks, and they say, what do you believe is the best of this category? And for the first time ever, grace was in five different categories. We've typically been in a couple, like church and academy. Um, And for four years previous, from my first year with you, because I'm about to finish actually my fifth year, which is hard to even believe, but we've been taking the first place in that. But this year, we were nominated as best place of worship, best private school for the academy, best daycare, Best Summer Camp, both of those related to Grace Place, our ministry through the church, and Grace Performing Arts Center. For the first time, our music school ministry, which does singing, instruments, dance, all of that, that was also nominated as the best music school, and all of this for our region. And uh, I'm just happy because I, I tell you what I like to do. I like to take anything good and consider it an offering back to the Lord. I am overjoyed to tell you that in all five categories, your church, your school, your after school, your performing arts center, all received first place, top prize, best of in the county for those areas. Now, here's the thing. You always take anything good like that and you say, not to us, but to your name we give the glory. And the reason I celebrate that is I want this church to be known as a church that makes the difference. I don't want this to be all that big church over there in Carnes or all that church that some people say, oh, the church across from McDonald's. Never thought I'd be known by a McDonald's, but that's it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, But that church out there, uh, you know, I want to be known for that church that loves people well 
that feeds the hungry and clothes those that are cold and that does a real ministry in her community. It's why we've changed a few things and, and made some stuff free that sometimes people think, man, that's expensive. It takes a lot of money to do that. You know it takes a lot of money to do things like feeding the 5,000. This year, I believe, by your generosity and a large gift from a starting family, I believe we'll be able to feed 10,000, actually. I don't think we're going to feed 5,000. I think we're going to feed 10,000 this year. And here's the coolest part of that. Here's the coolest part. I just told the group in the chapel for new members. I just said this. We're not just giving them turkey and the sides because y'all know we'll ravage that stuff quick. 20 minutes, it's gone in my house. We're going to give them Jesus. And I'm telling y'all, in the next month, people are going to get saved. And people are going to get baptized. And people are going to be set on the road to discipleship. And we as a church are being acknowledged because I think we're about kingdom impact. And I take all of this and I turn it back and say, not to us, but to your name give the glory. And if we're putting a smile on the Father's face, isn't that why we're here? To please our Father? To please God? And to do good and to help? And so... I'm excited. We're flying out early in the morning. Pastor Kevin will tell you at the end, a team of us going to India. And I'm telling y'all, we're going to get to pour into some people, four or 500 pastors and wives impacting thousands of churches over there. Many of those pastors have five or six churches each that they lead. And we're going to be able to impact them. But I'll tell you what's going to happen. We're going to be the ones receiving the blessing. Because as you make the way for us to go, and as we give of our own resources and we go, and we teach, and we don't ever charge anything anywhere around the world. We always go free of charge because of our personal giving and, our, and the generosity of our family of faith. We're going to see life change. We're going to see eternity change. And when I think about it, it's all going to come back. I'm actually going to do some teaching in Hebrews because that's what they asked for, interestingly enough. But we think about this anchor for our soul. Man, the world is crazy. And it's changing and it's spinning and it's turning, but we need to stay anchored. And so let's go back to our verse we're memorizing, Hebrews 10, 23. Um, and let's say this together, and then I'm going to put a lot of blanks in it. Hopefully it goes from our head to our heart, okay? Let's say it out loud, and then we'll put the blanks in. Let's go. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Guys, I think the reason year after year after year, five in a row now, the community said, that is a special place of worship. We're going to acknowledge that. I think one of the reasons is we're not trying to be cute and fun and trendy. We're not worried about how many bottoms are in seats. I'm much more concerned with souls in the kingdom. God is honoring that as we dig down to bring width. He is honoring that. We're still up four to 500 year over year, week after week. It's, it is amazing to me when I look at that type of growth. And yet, I really do believe that it's because we're not wavering on the truth. I hope when you hear this message today, you'll know I am not at all attempting to be PC. But I am trying to be biblically faithful. And so let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for you who promised is faithful. Let's say it again. Let's see if you can get it with a bunch of blanks. Ready? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is, he's faithful. You know, last night, and y'all were just down there. Sorry. It was worse for my Tar Heels, though. It really was unbelievable, unbelievable. 
I'm so glad I was able to go to bed after two nasty defeats for my teams, UTK and UNC, and I'm so glad I laid my head on the pillow last night and thought, well, you're still a winner in Jesus because his team never loses. You never have a bad second half with Jesus. Jesus has won already, and I know these little battles are taking place, but guys, the war is won. I read the end, I know the final score. It's like Jesus a million, Satan nothing. So if you know him, you never have to worry about defeat. You never have to worry about disappointment. He'll never, you know, run short or lose the ball or throw an interception. Jesus is perfect, and yet I think we live in this world where we put so much stock in those things, and it's fun, and we can all be engaged in the games, no problem. I have no issues with that. But what we must do, I think Jesus himself would say to us, what might he say? Hey, church, I want you to come together right now. Yeah, all right, you're still heathens, just like last week. It's fine. Come together right now over me. Come together with Jesus. That's what we said last week, the middle of chapter 10. Come together with boldness. Come together with assurance. Come together with your family of faith. Because look what's going on in our world. Look what's going on in our own nation. And when I read this text today about how you don't want to go back, there are grave warnings here. Just get the basics right. I couldn't help but think about a song. I used to sing it a lot in the early 90s. It was released in 92 by a group called For Him. Anybody heard of For Him? Came out of truth, okay. And uh, listen to the lyrics. It's an incredible song, 30 years old, but the truth sticks just as well. We've turned the page for a new day has dawned. We've rearranged what is right and what's wrong. Somehow we've drifted. That's a word from Hebrews. We've drifted so far from the truth that we can't get back home. Where are the virtues that once gave us light? Where are the morals that governed our lives? Someday we all will awake and look back just to find what we've lost. Is that true or what? And if you remember that, we need to get back to the basics of life. A heart that is pure and the love that is blind. We need a faith that is fervently grounded in Christ. Is the hope that endures for all time. We need to get back, get back to the basics of life. You know, that's what we need. We need to get back to what is real and true and right. And the culture doesn't get to dictate it. God himself has spoken and he has not stuttered. And you know, we look at this, the newest rage is to reason it out, man. Just meditate, you can overcome every doubt, hogwash. Baloney, you're going to meditate on anything, meditate on the Word of God. After all, man is a God. They say God is no longer alive. I love this little turn in the lyric, but I still believe in the old rugged cross, and I still believe there's hope for the lost. And this line, and I know the rock of all ages will stand through the changes of time. The changes of time. This is a lyric that holds just as true today as 30 plus years ago when it was written. We need to get back. Don't try to be cute 
or trendy. Don't try to keep up with all the changes. Man, you can't even keep up with the language anymore. There are certain parties that are constantly trying to redefine and make up words to add to the English language. I tell you what, I think We have all that we need right here in the truth of God's Word. So y'all stand with me as we honor the reading of that Word. And let's look at 26 to 39. And this is some pretty tough stuff in the first uh, six verses or so. And it's a lot of warning, but it really shifts into a lot of encouragement. And so I want you to both receive the warning today, but also receive the encouragement. It says, for if we... Sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So that's an Old Testament truth I'll unpack for you. And then he says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. You might remember this from the pen of Jonathan Edwards. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But... And this is where we get this wonderful shift. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Therefore... Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he does a quote that's sort of a mashup of Isaiah and Habakkuk. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Everybody's looking at Israel right now saying, is this it? Is this it? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we're, we're closer than we've ever been, and we'll be closer tomorrow. But we say things like, if the Lord doesn't tarry his coming. I want you to look at this verse. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. The Lord will not tarry. He will not be late, nor will he be early. He will be right on time. And in the meantime, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Lord, what an incredible promise right there. We are those who believe. We're not going to draw back. And for the very saving of our souls, we continue to walk by faith. What does it mean, Lord? What does it look like? No doubt, no doubt, some folks walked in this room with questions today. No doubt there are people listening online that are plagued by doubt. But I pray today there would be clarity, there would be truth, accuracy, anointing, and that we would get back to the basics of life with Christ. 
in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, guys, be seated. I'm gonna give you a really simple outline today, really short phrases. The first thing I want you to see in these first five, six verses is regard the warning. I use the word regard not only because I'm alliterating this week, but because I want you to think Don't disregard. Disregard would be the opposite. Regard, heed, pay attention, listen up, take respect, hold on to this. Regard the warning. Do not disregard it. It is the fourth warning passage in the book of Hebrews, and it deals with the sin of apostasy, falling away from the faith. Apostles are those who move toward Christ, hear and understand his gospel, receive it gladly, and grow. But there are those who look like they're on the path of faith look like they're traveling toward Jesus. Remember the soils? They look like they're gonna spring up. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't real. This carried it away, that choked it out. There was never any real foundation. It was built upon the rock of the, uh, the seed lay upon the rock. And so my point is, he's talking about those who are on the verge of saving belief, but then they turn away from Christ and the truth of the gospel. We've already discovered in Hebrews chapter six that true Christians do not apostatize. True believers never fall away. Those who fall into apostasy, those who reject the truth, just indicate they were never truly saved. In fact, look at your screens. 1 John 2, 19. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out. And the reason they went out, well, it's made manifest that they were not of us. The truth comes out. In the long run, the truth comes out. And so what he's doing in these early verses of the text we read is just warning these Jews, some of whom have truly trusted Christ and they're enduring, some of whom have said, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, but then the screws get tightened by Nero and the gang and they go, well, maybe I should go back to Judaism. And he's saying, don't you do that. If you do that, you will indicate that you were never really part of the family. Don't you come in and go out and you say, whoa, pastor, I've heard of backsliding. Yes, even biblically we can see seasons where someone temporarily moves away from God. But the true believer, the true child of God comes back with the family of faith and you can trust that. If you abandon Jesus and stay away from him, only expect fearful judgment and raging fire. This is what the Bible teaches. He talks about this fiery indignation and a certain expectation of judgment. I've I've written it like this. Anyone who rejects the sacrifice of Christ will find no other answer to the problem of sin. Rejection only brings separation. Do not think there's another different or better way. Do not think man has really figured it out now, and if I'll just try this, this will work. No, 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 no. He actually says in verse 26, if we go back into that old life, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. You know what that means? It means your sin is on you. That's a horrible thing, to step into eternity with your sin on you. There's a judgment coming for those who who are not robed in the righteousness of Christ, and it's an awful thought that the great white throne judgment, all of your good will be weighed against all of your bad, and if you don't have Jesus, 
all of it comes up short. Now, that's just, that's just for non-believers, though. That's those who have rejected Christ. For us, robed in the righteousness of Christ, it's a different judgment altogether. The bema seat of Christ is totally different. But the reality is, if you act like you believe, but then you backpedal and you stay backpedaled, it's the worst possible place to be in, according to the Bible. In fact, he uses a lesser to greater argument. Sometimes we do this in debate, or if you are really trying to move an argument forward, you'll use a lesser to greater argument. So this is what he does. He says, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant with Moses, if you rejected the Mosaic Law and two or three witnesses saw you reject it, that could bring penalty of death. And then he says, how much worse if you reject the new covenant, the law that says, this, this new fulfilled law that says Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried and raised the third day according to the scriptures, if you reject that, how much worse will it be? In fact, he gives this picture of this almost unholy trinity. Look at verse 29. 29. How much worse will the punishment be? It's not just going to be physical death. It's going to be eternal death, separation from God, punishment, fiery indignation. And he gives an unholy trinity. He says, you've trampled the Son of God underfoot. He said, you have counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. Oh, that's no big deal. Jesus is a good moral teacher, but his sacrifice is no big deal. Uh Uh-uh. And you have insulted The Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of grace. You have said the work of God through Christ doesn't matter. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God in me doesn't matter. And he said, how much worse will it be for you? In fact, we take that text. Part of it comes out of Deuteronomy 32. And it was a very famous man. And he preached a very famous message. He preached it a number of times in his life. The most famous was July 8, 1741. And we really don't hear sermons titled like this anymore. See if you know it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Anybody hearing about an angry God being preached anymore? No, we serve a warm, fuzzy God who loves everybody. Love, peace, bacon, grease, kumbaya. We don't serve a God of anger. And yet, we have this silly, trite saying in the church, well, love the sin and hate the, I mean, hate the sin and love the sinner. Well, yeah, but you don't punish sin, folks. Hear me repeat it again if you've been here. You don't punish a lie. The liar receives punishment. You don't punish stealing. You punish a thief. And the Bible intimately ties it together and says, look, you're right, God does hate sin. And God does love people made in his image, but God hates it when we are enslaved by sin and the sinner gets punished. And Edwards himself talked about the sinner hanging as though by a single thread of a spider over the chasm of fire. And just that little thread holding you up and you're trying to stay out. And yet sinners in the hands of an angry God, apart from Jesus' face, fiery indignation. Why can we not get it? It was a spark that led to some of the greatest movement of the first great awakening in our country. And somehow churches think if we're just sweet and kind and never bring up sin or judgment, and if we just say, this is my Bible, but never really talk about the Bible anymore, that that's going to get people saved and right with God. No, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God who hates sin. And Simon Peter said this, look at your screens, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after to have known it to turn 
from the holy commandment delivered to them. <laughs> we just don't hear this in modern preaching. We just don't hear this in much teaching anymore. We must warn people apart from Jesus there is nothing but fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation we need to be jarred y'all know what it means to be jarred that second half last night it was jarring man we went out to eat with some friends my wife made the the uh, reservation at six o'clock for the life of me I don't know why but she did and it was wonderful but you know I'm having to pull the phone out and check and I'm like what is happening and then I go home and I watch my beloved Hills, six and O, playing the scrubs from Virginia, and it all falls apart. It was jarring. It's like the story I read about a taxi driver. The passenger leaned over in the cab and, and he was gonna ask the driver a question. He tapped him gently on the shoulder and the driver screamed. He lost control of the cab, nearly hit a bus, drove over the curb and stopped just inches from a large plate glass window. For a few moments, everything went silent in the cab. Then the shaking cab driver turned around to the passenger and said, uh, are you okay? The passenger said, I think so. And he said, buddy, I'm sorry, but you have scared the daylights out of me. And the passenger said, hey, man, I guess it's my fault. I, I didn't know a little tap on the shoulder would scare you like that. And the driver said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, this is the first day I've ever driven a taxi. For 25 years, I drove a hearse. There you go. <laughs> Jarring. <laughs> now remember more than that when you go to lunch, okay? I'm just saying, I've written a whole message here. It's so important to be jarred. There was a guy, he was jarred, he was a monk. He loved the Catholic Church and yet he saw problem and problem and problem manifesting over and over and the powerful getting more powerful, the wealthy getting more wealthy and yet souls desperately in need of a savior. And he was jarred to his core when he saw in Romans, in Hebrews, from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Not by the church, not by tradition, not by good works. The just shall live by what? Faith, sola fide, faith alone. And so Martin Luther was jarred and he began to protest and he began to demand reform. Does anybody follow the language there? Which was in many ways the spark to our Protestant Reformation, which is why many of us are here today. We regard the warning. Second, we re recall the endurance. Man, I love this little midsection. Recall the endurance. If you look back over this, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God or a living God, but recall the former days, which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle. Listen, this is not the first time Christians have suffered. We go to see our friends early tomorrow morning and we'll fly and be and travel the better part of the next 24 hours and we'll love on the people of India. I was there when they elected their current president. I'm telling you, he has no love for Christians. He's a radical Hindu raising up radical Hindus. And some of my sweet, dear friends have been beaten to an inch of their life for proclaiming the very truth I'm proclaiming to you today. And they'll come to this conference, four or five hundred of them, and they'll sit for 12 hours at a time and they'll soak up truth. And we'll preach and teach our guts out. And they'll soak it in and then they'll take it to their congregations where many of these men ride bicycles and preach to five or six village congregations. 
And they'll take this truth with them. And the ones that I've talked to through the years of working there have said, what a joy, what a privilege to be beaten for Jesus Christ. But we get our name in the paper. We do not know what real persecution is in this nation. Until you have been tarred and set ablaze in the emperor's garden, we do not know. We do not understand. And yet, simultaneously, I don't want to belittle the suffering and the challenges that we do have. We have many challenges. We do suffer. And these Jewish Christians knew what it was like to be publicly shamed and persecuted. And they had others in their life that had dealt with such experiences. And they endured a great struggle. The language there of the New Testament is that uh, picture of an athlete, like a Greco-Roman wrestler. If you've ever wrestled the real stuff, it's intense, man. It's a battle, not only of the muscle, but of the will and of the mind. And it's an intense type of thing. And he says, they're a spectacle. Verse 33, he says, those who have endured, you are made both a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations. People were watching spectacle. Um, I think the King James, what's the word? Gazing stock. It's actually where we get the English word theater. If you want to find the etymology of the word theater, it comes through the Greek. And it is from that word. You are on display. You know, one of the reasons I think grace is being favored of God, there were many challenges in the past, many seasons of challenge, and yet I think the watching world says you have tried to be faithful and remain so, and you have endured in the past, and you're a gazing stock. Don't go backwards now. Move forward. It says like this. I wrote it like this. Others have endured in the past. Therefore, we can and will persevere in the present, and we will thrive in the future. Notice I did not say survive in the future. We will thrive. Christians will never be stamped out because Christ is the one true and living God. Christianity will be here forever until the end of time till Christ himself comes to take us home because we have made it in the past, we will make it in the future, and we will not just do it by surviving. We will thrive. Even the writer says, you've loved me in my chains One of the reasons I think Paul may have penned this, I don't know, but he says, look, I've been imprisoned, I've suffered, you've prayed for me, you've endured, and you will continue to do so. Do not go backwards. Don't throw away your confidence. Walk in faith. Walk in boldness. God's got this. Uh, Several years ago, in Billy Graham's magazine called Decision Magazine, there was an article published with a great title, quote, My wife pushes me around. Love that. And you would think it dealt with maybe an overbearing spouse, but that wasn't accurate at all. Because on the cover, my wife pushes me around was a picture of the man, the pastor, in a wheelchair with his wife behind him. Leslie K. Tarr, pastor in Winnipeg, Manitoba, had tubercular meningitis, which left him paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair. He prayed, he hoped for a miracle, but in that regard, it never came. So gradually he began to realize he must now live with many, many challenges. The support and prayer of immediate family and friends and his church were unfailing sources of strength. And he walked with the Lord along this path even though he was bound in a wheelchair. But he found many open doors of opportunity. He became a writer, a seminary teacher, a pastor, an encourager of countless others. This is what Pastor Tarr said, quote, 
As simply as I can express it, I contend that God worked a miracle inside me. He did not lift me out of my wheelchair, but he has given the grace and strength to be thankful and contented in the wheelchair. He's allowed me to be grateful that someone cares enough to push me around. God's grace has met all my needs. And Pastor Leslie Tarr found that in Christ, there was the power to persevere in the face of extreme challenges. And I think when we process Whatever it is for you, it may not be a wheelchair. In fact, to me, the hardest thing is to see those I love suffering. That's why so many times we'll pray, God, give it to me. I'll take that sickness. I'll take that on for them, but give it to me. Don't let them suffer. But it's so challenging to see people suffer. And I'm not saying we suffer in the same way of persecution like our Indian brothers or those that are of God in certain communist areas of the world, but I am telling you that we suffer and we must remain faithful because others have been faithful in the past. We have at times been faithful. We can continue. Recall the endurance. Regard the warning. Last, briefly, receive the promise. Do you see the promise? For after you've endured, you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. It's what 36 says. For yet a little while, And he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. He will not delay. He will be right on time. And the just, in the meantime, now, now, the just shall live by faith. But if you draw back, God is not pleased in that. Do not draw back to perdition. That word means destruction, utter annihilation. Do not draw back to that. But to those of us who believe, it is to the saving of the soul. And so what we have is a little bit of Isaiah 26. We have a little bit of Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. And they're melded together around this wonderful truth. The just shall live by faith. The just. Let's break it apart. This idea is one characterized by righteousness and moral actions, justified by Jesus. You cannot be the just apart from the finished work of Christ. You shall live. Every day you put one foot in front of the other, you walk in this faith. You haven't figured it all out, nor have I, but we walk day by day by faith, by faith to believe, to trust completely. St. Augustine said, all who are justified through Christ are righteous, not in themselves, but in him. Good works then follow after a justified person. They do not go before. It is not, let me get right with God and then I'll be saved. It is, I am transformed by the work of Christ. Now the good works can follow. And so I wrote it very simply because I kind of think simply, the cross plus nothing equals salvation. You could say, theoretically, I guess, the empty tomb, the finished work of Jesus, but I'm going to keep it simple. The cross, you can actually write this in an equation. You can do the cross, make a T, plus zero equals, and then salvation. You can kind of do one of those pointers. In fact, in my notes, that's the way I write it. The cross plus nothing equals salvation. You see, the opposite of apostasy is persevering faith. Faith that pleases God. Otherwise, if you draw back to perdition, you're just like the seed planted on the soil and it looked okay, it was coming up, it was coming up, and then the cares of the world choked it out. Or the birds came and snatched it away. And only one of the four was genuine, producing fruit that would remain. Perseverance in the faith. 
leads to preservation from eternal destruction. And so we regard the warning, recall the endurance, and receive the promise. Now, some of you, and some of you listening or watching, are close to trusting Christ. I was so thrilled in the last hour. I saw some families move and some children, and I believe we had some uh, that have received Christ today. And every week, every week I'm amazed. Because when the word goes forth, as I read in my quiet time recently, it will not return void. It will accomplish that for which it is sent. And I don't understand people that do not give an invitation and invite people. God himself really inviting people. Act on this truth. Respond to this truth now. Don't just hunt me down and try to find me. Let me put a pastor and a counselor in front of you. Respond to this truth today. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the accepted day. And some of you are so close, right at the precipice. But you still hang over the flames. And some others of you are plagued by doubt. Can I ask a question? I did this in the first service and was amazed at their transparency. I'll be honest with you. Most of the time I ask questions, people kind of, eh if it makes us look a little bad, but I'm gonna raise my hand first. Have any of you ever repeated the sinner's prayer multiple, multiple times just to make sure it's stuck, but you've just doubted? Anybody but me? Okay, okay. So y'all follow what I'm saying. Do I really have enough faith? Did I really have enough faith when I said that? Did I really believe? Do I really believe now? Should I be baptized again? Some of y'all have got wet so much you look like raisins, right? You just, you keep getting wet. Can I share a little story to close with you before the band comes? I share a little story that really helped me. Because we've got this thing wrong, y'all. We got this thing way, way, way out of whack. And um, let, me, let me give you the story. I think you'll get it. You say, what if I don't have enough faith, this and that? It's winter. You live in Minnesota, Minnesota. Before you is a glorious lake that appears frozen over, and it's nearly 20 below, and there's no doubt in your mind that ice is going to hold you up. You are ready to slip and slide and maybe even go back and get your, your uh, drill and your pole and do a little ice fishing. So you run, and you go down the dock, and it's pretty close to the top of that ice service, and so you want to slip and slide and go out, but you were wrong. In fact, yes, it's 20 below, but it's not been that cold that long, and there's only about an eighth-inch sheet of ice on that lake. And guess what happens? Your faith does not hold you up. So it's a few weeks later, and your pneumonia has nearly cleared up. And again, you're out looking over that supposedly frozen lake, and you really want to go out there slipping and sliding again. You really want to get your ice fishing gear. But this time... You do not run down the dock with great fear and timidity. You edge, you go toward the edge, and you kind of gently place one foot. And then another foot. But your faith is very weak. But it's been cold all these weeks. And now you have a few feet of ice that will hold you up. And soon you discover, hey, I can do what I want to do here. What is the meaning of the story? Well, the issue, you see, has not nor will it ever be about the amount of your faith. 
Jesus makes it very clear that the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. And if you've not seen one of those, it's a pretty tiny thing. The issue has not, nor will it ever be, the amount of your faith. The issue has and will forever be the object of your faith. There are people all over the world that have sincere faith, but they have sincere, even radical faith in a God or gods who do not exist. I can promise you, some of the Indians we will be around this week have far more faith than some of us American Christians. And they display it regularly through their idols and their sacrifices and they'll place food and they'll do all of these different things, even hurting their own bodies at times to appease their gods, little g. But it is not the sincerity of their faith that matters. It is not the sincerity of faith that will get anyone to glory. No, 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 it is the object of your faith. And so if you run out full tilt, full of faith on something that is not what it seems to be, you will go under. But even if you do at times have doubt, and even if at times you admit, as we all should, I I don't understand all of this. There's some things I don't understand, some things I don't even like. God, why is it this way? God, why is there so much suffering and evil in this world? I believe there are good, valid, biblical understandings of such things. But I know we wonder, and we tiptoe around, and sometimes we go, will will this hold me up? And I'm here to assure you, it is not just how much faith you have. Where is your faith placed? If your faith is on Jesus Christ, and his finished work at Calvary and the empty tomb and the throne room of God where he sits at the right hand of the Almighty. If your faith is there, it is as good as the rock of ages. You will not fall. You will not go below. You will stand throughout all eternity, not because of you, because of him. You follow me? He is the one. He is the reason. His truth, his gospel, his finished work. Quit letting the enemy beat you up. Oh, you don't have enough faith. A mustard seed. A mustard seed. Now, is it appropriate to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think so. I think it is good and it is right because we want you to grow in your faith. Because when the wind gets really strong, and the waves get really hard, and everything is pressing, you will be the vine that is blown away from the great oak, or you will be the vine that is pressed into the mighty tree. And I pray you'll be the latter. I pray you'll be pressed into God in the storm. I pray you'll choose to trust him even when you don't understand him. Understanding can wait. Trust and obedience cannot. As the band comes up, I want to tell you that all belief systems are not equally valid. God is not on the mountain and there are not multiple paths to get up to him. The God who is there had to come here. The God who is wholly different had to become one of us, like us in every way. And you don't have to wonder and wait and have some warm, fuzzy feeling. You can trust the God who is here. 
Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God, paid the price in your place on Calvary and your sin debt is canceled if you trust him. If you will come, if you will believe, if you will receive, this can be the day of your salvation. He is the only way. And the most loving thing I can tell you is without him, there is only punishment and separation. And with him, there is joy and strength eternal. Regard the warning. Recall the endurance. Some of y'all today need to receive the promise. These are the basics of life. Stand with me this morning. Is that my so-so that's had enough today? She said, Jeepa, stop. The very fact that I can look at their faces and that their mommy and daddy have them in church tells me that there's a very high probability that one day, one day, they're gonna say yes to Jesus and trust him as Lord and Savior. They're not ready yet. But maybe you are. Remember, if you say, I'll decide later, that is your prerogative. But God hears that as a no. So trust him. Pastors and counselors are here. That could be Jesus calling. You better be ready. You need to come. You need to give your life to Christ. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.